Hello, this is Kevin Thompson. I'd like to welcome you to the Davis McGrath LLC IP webinar series for February 6, 2013. Today's topic is trademark dilution. Today we're going to be going for about 30 minutes. Um, the recording and slides will be posted on the address here near your screen, which is uh, blog.davismcgrath.com forward slash webinars, where you can also sign up for our webinar mailing list. Uh, for those of you who need Illinois MCLE credit, if you haven't already done so as part of the registration process, uh, please send your name and ARDC number to me. Uh, for people viewing the recording, uh, please also uh, send me uh, your name and ARDC number and uh, when you viewed the recording, and uh, we will uh, endeavor to get you credit. Um, our next webinar is coming up on March 13th, 2013 from 12 to 12.30, again for about half an hour on the topic of debunking copyright myths. So today we're going to cover uh, trademark dilution, look at a, bit, a little bit between federal versus state protection, um, go through the different provisions of the uh, Dilution Act, uh, which is 15 U.S.C. 1125, um, uh, and then definitions, exclusions, um, remedies that are available for trademark dilution, uh, some changes that happened in the 2006 Act, and then we're going to go through some cases and you know, talk a little bit about um, uh, some interesting cases that have cropped up over the past few years uh, dealing with trademark dilution. Uh, but first, probably the easiest way to sort of get into dilution, uh, because it is different than regular trademark infringement, uh, is to talk a little bit about just what it is and, and uh, uh, provide an example from a case. Um, just imagine that uh, you're the owner of uh, Louis Vuitton and uh, Louis Vuitton uh, sells handbags with this very distinctive design um, elements as part of it. Um, they're expensive handbags and it is a uh, um, a brand that's I would say famous, uh, it's, it's well known, um, but at the same time um, uh, somebody's come along and made uh, what's uh, a parody uh, ultimately found to be, but it's a, uh, a chewy dog toy um, and it is in the shape of a handbag um, and they call it Chewy Vuitton as opposed to Louis Vuitton and it is um, uh, also has a, a regular series of designs across the across the, the, the face of it. And uh, the Louis Vuitton folks uh, saw that and they were not very happy with it. Um, the question is, what do you do about it? Um, you know, is it trademark infringement? No, these aren't selling it for handbags. It's not, uh, you know, a direct infringement of their mark. But what it does do is it, it tends to harm the reputation of their mark. Um, and that uh, people may uh, laugh at them, uh, people may, uh, you know, hold them up to um, uh, um, some ridicule, and so this uh, Chewy Vuitton brand, something has to be done about it. Well, what, what to do about it? Well, that they decided to bring a, what we call it, a trademark dilution case uh, for it, um, what's, what's called uh, uh, dilution by blurring. Uh, in which you, uh, which we'll talk about a little more detail here. Uh, there's two different types. Dilution by blurring is is where you uh, that there's some um, 
you know, distinction between the two marks, uh, but, you know, there is enough of a relationship between the two that people uh, think that, uh, um, you know, the, the, the line between the two is, is blurred. Um, trademark by, uh, dilution by tarnishment is, is where you harm the, uh, the reputation of the mark, and we'll certainly talk about those in a little more detail and go through uh, some of the, um, the definitions that are there um, in the Act. Uh, so anyways, this is a real case. Uh, it's uh, Louis Vuitton Malatier versus Ho Diggity Dog, um, which is a 2006 case. And um, ultimately, uh, just so you know, uh, this was found to be a parody of the Louis Vuitton bag. And uh, as such, um, you know, was protected as a parody and uh, uh, was not, uh, you know, not found to be, uh, you know, dilutive. Uh, but that certainly was one of the claims that was made by Louis Vuitton, and so it's certainly a, a good example that um, you know for for discussion here today. Um, it should be noted that uh, uh, protection for uh, dilution is a, a mix between state and federal protection. Uh, over 40 states have their own dilution laws. Uh, the Illinois Act uh, can be found at 765 ILCS 1036/65. Uh, should be noted that the federal law, which is uh, 15 U.S.C. 1125C, uh, does not preempt state law. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if you have a federal registration, it uh, does act as a complete bar to an action based on common law or a state registration. Uh, the whole purpose of having a federal registration is to sort of quiet title to a mark across all 50 states. And uh, so the, the, that's a... Um, you know, a purpose of the Federal Registration Act, um, and so uh, you, you you still you know could be liable for a dilution claim brought under the Federal Act. That that's certainly possible, uh, but it, it does act as a bar to um, an action based on common law or a state registration. So here's the the the, the operative uh, section of 15 U.S.C. 1125C. Uh, section 1, uh, so spend a few minutes going through here, um, it's the subject of the principles of equity, the owner of a famous mark that is distinctive, and that's the first definitional element, uh, it has to be a famous mark, um, and then, um, you know, that distinctiveness comes either inherently or through acquired distinctiveness, shall be entitled to an injunction against another person who, at any time after the owner's mark has become famous, commences use of a mark or trade name in commerce that is likely to cause dilution by blurring or dilution by tarnishment of the famous mark. And we have talked a little bit about dilution by blurring and a little bit already about dilution by tarnishment, uh, but those are defined later on in the Act. Um, regardless of the presence or absence of actual or likely confusion of competition or of actual economic injury. Um, so that's that's the the important section of the act, and, and, and it it guides uh, the rest of our discussion here today. Um, like I said, uh, the first major element of it is, is involves a famous mark that is distinctive. Um, you know, there's no registry of uh, famous marks. You know, so just what is famous, and uh, there's a section that deals with that. Um, you know, then it deals with um, and. Uh, Something, somebody using a mark or a trade name in commerce that is likely to cause dilution. Um, it's, uh, this is a change from, from the prior act. Uh, this is, uh, it merely has to be likely to cause dilution. And then there is um, 
you know, well, one cause of action for dilution by blurring, another cause of action for dilution by tarnishment, and then um, uh, what's important to note is the last section here um, is that both of these claims, uh, it, it, they can be brought regardless of whether or not there is any actual or likely confusion or competition or of actual economic injury. Uh, you don't have to wait until you know your your mark is uh, severely damaged uh, before you know bringing a dilution claim if you know the the mark that is uh, you know uh, being introduced is uh, scandalous or you know tarnishing to to your mark. So let's go through some more of these definitions here. Um, you know, just what is fame? Um, a mark is famous if it is widely recognized by the general consuming public of the United States as a designation of source of the goods or services of the mark's owner. And then there are four, uh, four factors that the courts will look at to uh, determine uh, whether or not, you know, this mark is, you know, uh, got the, the right degree of recognition by the public. Um, the first thing they'll look at is uh, the duration, extent, and geographic reach of advertising and publicity, uh, whether it's um, advertised or publicized by the owner or by third parties. Um, so, you know, you might look at uh, uh, marketing, you know, efforts of, of the owner itself. And then um, in this day's social media, you might look at uh, third party use. Um, you know, people are talking about your brand on Twitter or on Instagram or, you know, other services or Facebook, uh, then, uh, you know, that could show uh, you know, fame or you know, recognition of your mark by by the general public, um, and then you look at the amount, volume, and geographic extent of sales or goods or services after another mark. Um, anything that you can show the extent of actual recognition of the mark, or um, you know, whether what's mark was registered under uh, the prior acts, or whether it's it's currently registered on the principal register, and. Um, so that's a little bit goes goes into whether Mark is famous or not. The next section um, goes a bit definitionally into uh, just what is dilution by blurring, and uh, we talked about this briefly. But here's the definition that's in the Act: it's association arising from the similarity between a mark or trade name and a famous mark that impairs the distinctiveness of the famous mark, and then. Uh, there are um, six factors that the court will uh, need to look at. Um, well, first is the degree of similarity between the trademark or mark and the famous mark, uh, the degree of inherent or acquired distinctiveness of the famous mark, the extent to which the owner of the famous mark is engaged in substantial, substantially exclusive use of the mark, um, the degree of recognition of the famous mark, whether the user of the mark intended to create an association with a famous mark, and then any actual association between the mark or trade name and the famous mark. And so these, these factors are, are all uh, parts of, uh, you know, this, this analysis. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the, the changes in that the, the, the were brought up by the, the 2006 version of, of the Act. Uh, but this is one of the significant changes. It, it moved one of the, uh, the, the, uh, the definitional uh, you know elements that used to be required as a, as, a, as a you know foundational element for bringing a claim into part of these factors, um, uh, which was um, you know the degree of similarity between the mark and the others, and um, and it um, 
it certainly changes the, the scope and focus of, of the act and it makes it a lot more friendly for um, a trademark owner you know, to bring this type of a claim. And next the section is a definition of dilution by tarnishment, which is a lot shorter, uh, which is uh, any association arising from the similarity between a mark or trade name and a famous mark that harms the reputation of the famous mark. And that there are no factors given here. Uh, instead, uh, you know, I think that leave it up to the facts of a particular case. Uh, you can certainly claim something that's tarnishing, and uh, uh, you know, court will look at it, you know, and evaluate it. Um, and ultimately, the finder of fact will determine whether or not something is, is truly tarnishing uh, the reputation of the famous mark. Um, so that this particular definitional section is a lot shorter. Um, now, this uh, section um, deals with exclusions, and um, that there are certain things that cannot be actionable as dilution by blurring or tarnishment, and that would be fair use. Um, sort of either nominative or descriptive use of a famous mark, um, such as uh, advertising a promotion that permits consumers to compare goods or services, or identifying and parodying, criticizing, or commenting on the famous mark owner or the goods or services of the famous mark owner. And uh, so this, um, you know, the revised act uh, was certainly, um, you know, preserves the, the ruling from the uh, Louis Vuitton and Chewy Vuitton case we talked about at the beginning. Um, the, the hot diggity dog case in which uh, you know the, uh, the the use in the dog toy was was a, found to be a parody of the, the of the mark and um, uh, so certainly they were not using it in such a way to uh, like on handbags or something like that uh, to uh, you know directly compete and uh, you know this parodying was um, was something that uh, uh, was protectable and uh, should go forward. So that's Section A. Uh, section B would be uh, form of news reporting and news commentary. Uh, that would be uh, protected as well. That, that cannot be, you know, action for blurring or, or tarnishment. And same with any non-commercial use of a mark. Now, if you're able to prove uh, the that, that something has caused either you know, caused dilution by the blurring or tarnishment. Uh, the uh, this definitional section itself, C1, provides for an injunction. Um, but there are other remedies available as well. Um, if it was willful infringement, uh, sorry, willful dilution, and the dilutive mark was first used after October 6, 2006, you can also get profits of the infringer, actual damages of the plaintiff, and costs of bringing the action. And so certain cases, if it's an exceptional case, you may be able to get attorney's fees as well. Um, it, it really will depend on, on the facts, uh, but that's certainly a possibility. Um, the 2006 Act, um, it, it revised the, the 1996 version that uh, was operative under the uh, Louis Vuitton case, um, no longer requires actual dilution. Um, standard is now likelihood of dilution, um, and uh, it, it used to be before you actually had to prove that there was actual, you know, uh, dilutive effects. But that's that's all it has to now is it has to be mere likely. Um, eliminates uh, niche fame. In other words, uh, it used to be that you could just prove that uh, your mark was famous within a small subset of uh, of um, of the consuming public, 
and that will be enough to be able to bring a dilution act. Actually, no. Now you actually you know have to show that the general public would would you know become to recognize your mark, um, and then uh, the the uh, 2006 act explicitly includes dilution by tarnishment. Um, there there were some uh, before that had not, um, and um, it looks like we've got a question. The question is, does the Federal Registration Act as a bar to an action under state registration or common law, even if the date of the state registration is before the federal first date of use? Um, and that's a question that I don't know the exact answer to. Uh, I will certainly look at that and uh, get back an answer to you. I, I suspect I know the answer, but I don't want to uh, uh, guess and, and give you the wrong answer here today on the webinar. I will certainly get back to you with the answer. I should also note that at any point during the uh, um, during the webinar, if you have questions, please feel free to ask them. I'll do my best to answer them uh, as we go along. And also, um, we will uh, have a question and answer session at the end. So now we're going to get into some uh, discussion of, of the cases. Um, the first is uh, a, a rather interesting one, uh, Starbucks Corporation versus Wolfboro Coffee. Uh, we'll first talk about the 2009 uh, decision in this case. Um, just so you know, some of the background here, Starbucks Coffee is a famous brand for, for coffee. You know, they've got uh, thousands of retail locations across the United States. Um, uh, I think people would generally come to say that Starbucks would, is indeed famous. Um, and they were not too happy with a micro roastery of uh, the um, Wolf Burrow Coffee is doing business as Black Bear Micro Roastery, and um, they have um, uh, a brand of darkly roasted coffee called Charbucks, and they would sometimes advertise that as Charbucks Blend, and uh, Charbucks or Mr. Charbucks is sometimes how it would be, um, you know, appearing on product packaging, um, and um, the uh, in the original case, um, the the marks were indeed somewhat similar, uh, but uh, the low, the lower court, uh, you know, decided not to, uh, you know, allow uh, you know the dilution claim to proceed. So. Um, Starbucks uh, brought brought an appeal to the Second Circuit. Um, so um, there was a you know finding that the marks were somewhat similar, but not substantially similar. Starbucks versus Charbucks. Uh, there are similar, but you know not that close. Um, you know, they certainly sound similar, uh, but you know that they're not exact. Um, now the, the amended dilution statute, you know, did not require substantial similarity. Um, it, it merely moves, you know, that requirement down to one of the factors of uh, whether or not uh, there is a, uh, you know, dilutive effect. Um, the statute allows the um, the degree of similarity uh, between the marks, you know, to to be a factor in the analysis. Um, so one interesting fact was that, you know, Black Bear chose the mark deliberately for there to be an association with Starbucks. It wasn't just a mere coincidence. Um, 
you know, that they, they was more of a commentary. Uh, so some people think that, you know, Starbucks over roast their coffee. And um, um, at one point, um, um, you know, it comes out in the in the case that, uh, you know, Charbucks is a derogatory term that's sometimes used, uh, you know, to make fun of Starbucks. And so here comes along somebody making a Charbucks blend. And so, um, you know, at one point, uh, Starbucks tried to claim tarnishment as well, you know, by, by this. Uh, but uh, the uh, neither the district court nor the uh, Second Circuit bought that particular argument. Uh, they, um, um, you know, rejected that tarnishment claim because, you know, the, the, the Black Bear product was a, was a high-quality um, blend and, you know, was actively promoted by Black Bear. Um, and uh, you know, there was no showing that it actually harmed the reputation of Starbucks in any way. Um, so, um, but the interesting part was they remanded it uh, for a determination of whether, whether or not there could be dilution by blurring. You know, the, the, the lower court really didn't go through and analyze the factors as, uh, as well as uh, the Second Circuit would have liked. And so it was remanded back for a uh, further determination. And so um, on remand, which is now the decision we'll be talking about from 2011. I've got the site down here on the bottom of the screen. Um, you know, the uh, the lower court, you know, found that the marks is still are indeed somewhat similar, uh, but Black Mare's primary mark that's used to advertise the uh, the, the blend is its Black Bear brand. Uh, Charbucks is merely used as the um, as the varietal name, the uh, you know the particular kind of of um, of coffee, and it's always used in in conjunction with it. You will never find you know a Charbucks blend used solely by itself on on the packaging of coffee. Uh, instead, uh, the prominent mark that's used on the packaging is the Black Bear, and um, so you know even though there are these bad facts such as you know the fact that the Black Bear chose the name deliberately uh, to be associated with Starbucks, um, these are only loosely associated. Um, and uh, so they've all, all together found that the, um, you know, the Charbucks is not likely to impair the distinctiveness of the Starbucks mark. And so uh, ruled in favor of uh, Wolf Burrow Coffee, who's operating against Black Bear. I thought that was sort of an interesting discussion um, of, of that dilution claim. Um, so let's move on to our next case, um, which is uh, a... Um, some of you may, may, may know that uh, the reason that we have a 2006 Act uh, is there was a 2003 Supreme Court case uh, between Victoria's Secret and uh, the Mosleys uh, who operate uh, Victor's Little Secret. Uh, Victoria's Secret, as uh, most of you probably know, is a uh, you know, lingerie company. And Victor's Little Secret was a small uh, adult merchandise company. They sell uh, all sorts of variety of sex toys and, and things of that nature. And uh, so uh, Victoria's Secret brought, you know, the action against Victor's Little Secret uh, to, um, you know, as a dilution claim, as a claiming the tarnishment of, of the, their mark. Um, and so the original case uh, came out, um, uh, you know, was found not, not likely, um, you know, to do, to, you know, it caused this um, 
Coast Dilution, the Supreme Court, you know, found in favor of Victor's Little Secret and, um, you know, remanded it for further determination, you know, consistent with its opinion. In the meantime, Congress goes about and, uh, you know, amends uh, the Dilution Act in a fairly substantial way uh, since then. Um, and, uh, you know, this, meanwhile, this case is still proceeding. Uh, there's a, a lower court decision uh, in which um, uh, the um, applying the new act, uh, the you know they they they, they find tarnishment uh, between Victor's Little Secret, you know, for its adult merchandise and uh, Victoria's Secret for its lingerie, uh, saying that Victor's Little Secret, um, you know, would would tarnish the reputation of Victoria's Secret. Um, and so it went up to the Sixth Circuit in 2010, um, and um, it, this was sort of interesting. Um, the, the question, one of the questions in the case is, you know, whether or not, um, you know, this new law that was amended, you know, should, should be applied, um, you know, because obviously it had already been up to the Supreme Court once already on, under the old act. Um, and in this case, uh, the Sixth Circuit ruled that it was, it was okay to apply the new law because, you know, the regulatory authority here, in this case Congress, uh, had uh, changed the law in a substantial way while the case was still pending. And also, it was okay to apply the law retroactively uh, when there was uh, relief sought for ongoing conduct. And so, um, you know, this ongoing conduct was go was in, in happening, you know, the, the Victor's Little Secret was still... Um, uh, you know, selling its wares and, you know, as far as Victoria's Secret was concerned, you know, tarnishing its brand. And so, um, you know, the, the lower court found tarnishment um, and that was upheld by the Sixth Circuit. Um, so this judgment was affirmed in favor of Victoria's Secret. Um, and interestingly, um, they, they tried to appeal again to the Supreme Court, but uh, cert was denied. So um, I, I do believe this case is finally over. Uh, for those of you that, you know, were following it from the Supreme Court case, you may not have been aware that, you know, this was still, you know, undergoing litigation, but uh, it uh, it certainly was and, you know, has gone on from there. The next one is also kind of an interesting one. Um, this is a case involves the trade dress design of uh, the um, uh, pocket design uh, shown on the, the, the back of jeans. Uh, and this is a case between Levi Strauss and Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, from 2011, um, the um, the lower court ruled in favor of uh, Amber Crombie, and uh, then um, you know this particular decision is uh, the Ninth Circuit you know review of that you know lower lower decision, um, and um, in that in this case um, they uh, uh, tried to argue that um, you know that the lower court had you know applied the wrong standard. Um, the Levi Strauss had put forth uh, survey evidence to show that consumers would be confused between the two. They've got this distinctive, what they think is distinctive, this what they call the arcurate, which is the, um, uh, the, the, the the two arcs that come together to form, you know, the, the, the design on the back of the pocket. And at the same time, Abercrombie and Fitch, using the design on the right, they've got two things that come together and also form an infinity symbol together. And... Um, um, the, uh, 
the original jury instruction said, asked whether or not the design was identical or nearly identical to Levi's trademark. Um, the problem is that, that particular standard is not in the 2006 Act, in which you know just merely says, are they, um, you know, are they similar, and um, you know, which is now just one of the six um, you know factors, and um, so. Um, you know, the Ninth Circuit found that it was not harmless error in, um, in, in having that jury instruction asking, asking for this higher standard of being identical or nearly identical um, in merely, um, you know, it should have been just one of the factors looked into how similar are these, you know, two designs. And so uh, in 2011, it was reversed for a determination of whether or not there has been dilution by blurring. And as far as I know, uh, the case has not yet been decided. So. Um, I don't know if it's still even proceeding, you know, whether or not it's, um, you know, settled out or not. But um, uh, that that's that the reported decision is a reversal, you know, for that determination. And then our, our last case uh, is a, an interesting one. Uh, it's a little bit of an older case from 2007. Um, the um, uh, dispute over um, uh, between. Um, you know, companies um, in the cleaning industry. Uh, ChemDry is a, a famous mark for for dry cleaners and carpet cleaners. Um, you know, they, they they you know do a lot of uh, dry cleaning chemicals. And um, at a trade show, um, their competitor Leiden uh, produced a T-shirt uh, which made fun of ChemDry, and uh, it was Chem Who question mark and then used a tagline on it, sticking it to the little guy. And um, so they, they weren't very happy that uh, they were, you know, being made fun of at the trade show with um, an almost identical um, use of their mark. It's got the same, you know, cam, you know, pre pre um, uh, prefix. It's got this uh, sort of a, a, a line, a, a slash that, that goes up, up to the right. Um, and then instead of the word dry, it's cam who, question mark. And then... Um, you know, long lose this tagline saying that they're sticking it to the little guy, um, and so this uh, you know sort of derogatory T-shirt, um, you know, was sort of snatched up by uh, ChemDry people and uh, became the basis of a cease and desist letter, which uh, you know Leiden ignored, uh, which then worked its way up into the lawsuit that was filed. And so this particular decision was on um, a motion for preliminary injunction. Um, you know, try to get uh, the, uh, as you may recall, the injunction is one of the, the remedies here. Um, and it was found likely to show tarnishment um, at trial. Um, you know, at that, um, you know, that's one of the standards for, for getting a preliminary injunction is, you know, are you likely to prevail at the end of your case? And uh, the, the, the the trial court found that they were, were likely, so the injunction was granted, and so certainly the intent was was there for for them to disparage uh, the plaintiff's mark, and so um, you know this uh, it likely is uh, dilution by tarnishment. Um, and then um, I did manage to discover that uh, later on there was a, um, a permanent injunction, you know, issued in the case, and. Um, uh, after uh, Leiden defaulted, um, but in 2008 the uh, default was set aside. Um, they, they were, uh, you know, able to claim uh, that uh, 
you know, that they never intended to be in default. There was some mix-up. They were trying to defend themselves, and and uh, there were two cases going on this time, this uh, trademark dilution case and a, a patent case uh, between Chemdry and, and Leiden. And um, they, um, you know, they claimed that since they were representing themselves in both cases, they were, um, you know, not sure... Um, you know, they got some sort of a mix-up. They never intended to be defaulted, um, but uh, you know, anyway, in any event, um, you know, that they they claimed that they had intended to put on a parity defense. You know, trying to claim that there was uh, parity involved in um, the um, um, registration here, um, but uh, um, we don't know. There's there's no further proceedings that were reported, so. Um, at this point, you know, I just don't know, you know, what the final outcome is between between the parties. But uh, I thought it was sort of an interesting case to talk about here today as an example of of a dilution, and it's also a, a good reported case on uh, just uh, the standards for for getting an injunction. So um, this would be a good point to say if anybody has any further questions. I know I've got one question to get back to people on uh, once I. Uh, you know, find the answer. Um, I, I do believe I know the answer, but uh, uh, I'm not 100% sure. And rather than say something incorrect during the webinar, I'd, I'd rather get back to you. Um, but uh, if at any point you've got questions, um, you know, like for example, if you're watching the the recording and you know have a good question at that point, feel free feel free to call or email me, and I will certainly endeavor to get back to you as soon as practicable. So, are there any further questions? Well, nobody seems to have their hand raised uh, for uh, for further questions, so I think we'll cut them off for right now. And uh, thank everybody for attending. Uh, our next webinar, as a reminder, is coming up on March 13, 2013, again for about half an hour on the topic of debunking copyright myths. Um, for those of you who need MC Elite credit, if you haven't already done so, please contact me and provide me your name and and. Uh, ARDC number. Um, those of you viewing the recording, uh, please send me your name, ARDC number, and uh, when you viewed the recording and how so, how you did so, and I will certainly uh, endeavor to get you credit. Um, uh, so I'd like to thank everybody for attending, and have a great day.